Today's scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 23. And uh, I'll read it aloud for us, and as I read it aloud, uh, you can simply follow along in your bulletin. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, as I mentioned before, for the upcoming year, there's basically two things that I want to focus on as a church and as a congregation because I think if we can grow in these two areas, we will experience uh, a lot of spiritual power in the coming years. And they're very, very simple things, but things that I think are supremely important uh, for us specifically. And that is the first thing, I think we really need to grow in prayer. And by this, I don't necessarily mean individual prayer. I hope many of us are praying individually and cultivating a personal relationship with God. But I do think that there is something special when believers come and gather and pray and worship together. And so uh, that's going to be a topic of emphasis for the fall. And the second thing is, I think we need to overcome a lot of fears. Uh, we are driven by fear. Fear is a very powerful force. I think fear holds us captive to a lot of things that God may be calling us to do. And so if we can make great strides in these two areas, and fear we'll focus on in the spring, but if we can make these strides in these two areas, I think we're going to experience a lot of uh, power, a lot of God's presence, a lot of freedom. And so in terms of our preaching, we are going through a series on prayer, and the way we're going to do this is by just going through the Bible and surveying and looking at the various prayers that we see in Scripture. So last week we started with the prayer of Abraham. Today we are going to look at a prayer by Moses where essentially he says, God, please show me your glory. Now if you thought Abraham's prayer last week was bold, Moses' prayer here is even bolder. And just as Abraham's prayer didn't take place in a vacuum, but it took place in the middle of a story of things that were going on, and a very intense story, here too, Moses' prayer also takes place in the context of a story 
that is somewhat intense. And by the way, let me say, isn't that how we learn the most about prayer? Isn't that what really draws us to pray? Usually we don't learn about prayer or grow in prayer in some kind of vacuum with, without a story, but usually prayer comes to us in the midst of our stories. You know, I mentioned, I, I have been, one of my prayers for our church has been, God, grow our church in the area of prayer. And as I was studying this passage, you know, it occurred to me that if God answers that prayer, and if God does grow our church in our desire and need to pray, he'll probably do it actually through some struggle and through hardship. I know, uh, you know, whether you enjoy my preaching or don't enjoy my preaching, uh, I know it's probably not going to be my preaching alone that's going to stir people to, uh, to desire to pray. And usually I think what it is is there's some kind of experiential component that stirs a desire to pray. And, and we see this all throughout the Bible. So uh, I do think it will take some hardship and struggle for us to grow in prayer. But I think if we can get to the other side of that struggle with a deeper dependence upon God, with a deeper understanding of how much we need God, with a deeper sense and a stronger urge to pray, I think it'll cultivate a, a, a deeper faith in us all. Now Moses' prayer here, it takes place after a very famous incident in the Bible uh, that if you've watched the, the movie The Ten Commandments, right, that very old movie that you're probably familiar with, and it is the golden calf incident. That takes place in chapter 32. And if what happens in that story is basically Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God, and I guess he's up there too long because the people get impatient, <laughs> like Moses is taking too long. And so what they said is, let's gather all of our gold and let's make a golden calf. So they make this golden calf, and as soon as they make this golden calf, here's what they say regarding this golden calf. They say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now that is perhaps as clear of a picture as any of idolatry. And can you imagine that? What are they essentially doing? They're ascribing God-like qualities to this golden calf. They're saying, golden calf, this is what brought us out of the land of Egypt. This was our salvation, O Israel. And you see, as a result of that idolatry, God's anger burns against the people of Israel. And so what Moses has to do is he has to intercede on behalf of the people. Now, there's many more things that happen in chapter 32, but that is the basic storyline in terms of setting up the context for this prayer. And uh, I think there are a couple things that we can look at in this passage, but I do want to just narrow it down and focus on this one theme that I think is so important. It is the theme of glory. Glory. Moses prays in verse 18, please show me your glory. Now, what is glory? It's a word we use all the time, but what exactly is it? How does the Bible use it? You know, I looked up some uh, theologians like Jonathan Edwards to see what they say about glory. And uh, here's what Jonathan Edwards says. He says that the word glory is often used to express or exhibit the intrinsic worth or value or holiness of God. And so when he talks about the holiness of God, he talks about it as the holiness of God is kind of like the intrinsic value or worthiness or beauty of who God is. And he also says it is the one attribute that makes God intrinsically worthy without necessarily being a benefit to us. So for example, we benefit from other attributes of God. We benefit from things like his love or his wisdom. We even benefit from things like his perfect righteous justice. But holiness does not really have a direct benefit to us other than being something to behold. 
since our culture is so shaped by consumer values, I do think there is a strong pull within uh, all of us to relate to God in view of these consumer values. And so uh, we probably very much approach God in such a way as to see God as someone that we can benefit from. And, you know, that actually might be fine, I think. Uh, that's not a bad thing entirely, uh, especially in the beginning when we're trying to understand God. But I do think at some point we have to encounter the holiness of God so that you don't see God as a means to an end, but that you see God as an end in himself. So that he is not the way to get your treasure, but so that he becomes your treasure himself. And I think when we encounter his holiness, that's when our hearts are captured by who he is. That's when our hearts are captured by his beauty. That's when we respond to him in deep worship, irrespective of circumstance and irrespective of anything that's going on in our lives. Now, a glory, according to Jonathan Edwards, he says, it's an expression or exhibition of God's intrinsic value and worth. And as we look at this passage, we're going to ask two questions. First, why does Moses ask to see God's glory? And second, why does God have to veil that glory to Moses? So first, why does Moses ask to see God's glory? Well, uh, if you just read the story and try to put yourselves in the shoes of Moses, uh, you realize he, he's probably in very stressful times. Uh, this is probably not an easy time for him. You know, he has a burden of leading an entire nation, an entire people out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, and that was probably a burden that weighed heavily upon him, especially when you have people like Israel, people who are mess up, people who are rebellious, people who are stiff-necked. And he had gone up to the mountain to be with God, and uh, that's when he receives uh, the Ten Commandments the first time, and uh, people start to get impatient, and what do they do? They do something foolish. They do something stupid, and they say, let's build this golden calf. Now, as a leader, he is the one who has to deal with what his people did. He is the one who has to address this situ situation and try to make it right again. And so what does he do? Well, first he has to go up to God and implore him, God, please relent from your anger. Don't destroy your people. Second, what does he do? Um, I, I kind of find this humorous, but maybe it wasn't humorous for them. Uh, he makes them burn the golden calf, grinds it into a powder, scatters it in the water, and then he makes them drink it. <laughs> Nobody else is laughing. I think that's hilarious. But anyway, third, and this is not as funny, but third, he has the Levites kill about 3,000 men uh, who wouldn't repent of their idolatry. And fourth, uh, God ends up sending a plague upon them. This all happens in chapter 32. Now, if you were Moses, after all of that happens, right, how are you going to feel after going through all of that? I think you kind of feel a little bit exhausted, a little bit drained emotionally, a little bit drained spiritually, maybe feeling a little bit hopeless and saying, man, are these people ever going to shape up? Are we ever going to make it to the promised land? Is this mission ever going to be carried out to its completion? Now, some of you may be in positions of leadership, and if you have been in a position of leadership, you know exactly what it means to carry the burden of responsibility, right? You know that when you're in that role, it can be stressful when things are not going well. Why? Because at the end of the day, you're responsible, right? You're responsible. You may not be the one to blame, but for whatever goes wrong, it doesn't really matter whether you're to blame or not because you are still responsible. 
Now, was it Moses' fault that the Israelites built this golden calf? No, it wasn't his fault, but he's still responsible. And as any good leader would do, he would even try to deal with the situation by telling God, God, if you will forgive their sin, forgive them, please, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. He's willing to sacrifice himself for his people so that they would be spared from the consequences of what they did. That's how much of a burden of responsibility Moses felt. And you see, if uh, I I were Moses, if you were Moses, I'm sure we would feel really drained at this point. And I think we can infer based on God's promise that he will give rest, which probably refers to entrance into the promised land, that Moses is probably at this point really tired and really weary. But either way, God knows Moses has a difficult job to do in leading these people, and he promises Moses rest will eventually come. And it's in this context, Moses asks God, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, what's behind that prayer? I think Moses is at a point where he needs some strength to continue to lead these people. I think Moses is at a point where he needs some encouragement to know that all the energy that he has put into leading these people, all the sacrifices that he has made, is worth it. And on a human level, you know, anybody would probably say, Moses, you're leading a sinking ship. And uh, he would probably say, if this ship is sinking, do I really want to continue on to lead these people? This environment is so toxic that perhaps the best thing would be to just kind of forget them and to move on. But for Moses, it's not simply a job or a position that he holds, but for Moses, it's a mission. It's a mission that God has commissioned him to do. And the goal of this mission, lead people to the promised land. And the only way, I think, to keep that fire in his heart to stay the course and to remain strong is to get more of God himself. That's why I think Moses prays, please show me your glory. God, I need more of you. I need to see more of you. I need to experience more of you. Now, if you notice here, this is an awfully personal prayer. You know, up until now, you know, he's not saying to God, God, show Israel your glory. He's saying, show me your glory. You know, in other parts as he's praying, it's obvious that Moses' primary concern is with the people of Israel. He's saying, if I have found favor in your sight, then consider that this nation is your people. And the reason he's saying that is because when God refers to the people, he doesn't say my people, he says this people. So there's kind of like a relational distance there after they uh, uh, built the golden calf. But Moses is saying, remember, these are your people. If you're going to find favor with me, remember them. They are your people. So it's obvious he has the people of Israel and the interests of Israel in mind. But here he's saying, show me your glory. He's uh, asking for uh, something very personal and very intimate. And he's asking to know God deeper and fuller. And I think he's asking because he needs his heart to be reassured and strengthened that God is still with him. You know, I think when we pray in our stressful moments, uh, how do we pray? We probably pray about our circumstances most of the time, right? That's not wrong. That's not even bad. That's actually probably a very good thing to do. We should pray about our circumstances. But how often do we really pray as Moses prays here? God, show me your glory. You know, I feel weak, and I feel like I'm on the verge of giving up. Show me your glory, God. You know, my heart is so hardened towards certain people, I just can't forgive. I just can't avoid conflict. I just can't avoid hatred in my heart. God, show me your glory. 
God, I'm so frustrated with the people I work with, or I'm so frustrated with people in my family. God, show me your glory. How often do we pray prayers like that? I suspect that a prayer like that would probably have a greater impact upon us because in the final analysis, our greatest need is not for our circumstances or situations to be different or to be changed, but in the final analysis, what we really need most is more of God himself. We need his glory. We need to see his glory. You know, this week was a, uh, this week was a interesting week. Uh, it started off really well and really encouraging, and I think uh, because of the way that it started off was good for me because the latter part of the week was not so great. Uh, but uh, during this week, there was a missionary that came and a missionary that many of us know. And, uh, he, you know, he was talking to another missionary who had gotten kicked out of China and I guess was thinking about, oh, what am I supposed to do next, right? A little bit confused. I thought God had called me to China. I got kicked out. What am I supposed to do next? What does God have in store for me? And uh, I was just kind of overhearing the conversation and um, I thought the counsel that he gave was so good, <laughs> so simple and so good. And it was actually a count counseling me as well. But what he said to this person, he said, don't focus on what to do. Don't focus on what you're supposed to be doing next. Focus on the Lord. That's what you should be doing. And I thought, wow, that is actually great advice. And it strikes me, you know, how similar my mind operates in that I'm always wondering, what am I supposed to do? What should I do now? What should I do later? How should I prepare? But perhaps I should be thinking, How do I seek God more? We need to see his glory. But why? Why is it so important to see his glory? What is, what is so important about glory? Well, this passage, I think, gives us the, the slightest of clues as to why glory is something that is so important for us. You know, if you look at Moses' prayer, he basically asks God for his presence to be with Israel. Now, in Hebrew, the word for presence is the same word as face. And... Uh, I don't use this benediction as much anymore, but today I will give this benediction where uh, it says, the Lord make his face shine upon you, right? That's the ultimate blessing, that the Lord's face shine upon you, that God's presence be with you. And what's interesting about this prayer is that Moses says, starting in verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? That is such an interesting statement to say from Moses to God because what he is basically saying is this. You know what? You can give us military victory. You can give us all of this wealth. But if you're not going to go with us, if your presence is not going to be with us, then it doesn't really matter. There is nothing that is going to make us distinct from the other nations. In other words, he is saying, we have no identity apart from you and apart from who you are. You know, having an identity is important because that's usually where we derive things like our meaning, our significance, our purpose. When we pursue glory, and uh, glory not in God himself, but different forms of glory in this world, isn't that something that we are ultimately doing? in our hearts, when we pursue glory in our careers, aren't we looking for some kind of meaning and significance and identity through the work that we do? If we're seeking glory from the public, doesn't that mean we're looking for significance through the opinions of other people? If we want the glory from having a, a, you know, a nice, good family, doesn't that mean we're looking 
for significance and how good our marriage is or how well adjusted our kids are and how healthy our family looks to the outside world. You know, all pursuits of glory at the end of the day, I think, is an attempt to get an identity so that we can derive some sense of meaning and purpose and significance. Now, the problem with finding glory in these things and the problem that Moses sees in finding glory in things like wealth and military victory is these glories ultimately go away. These glories ultimately fade. You know, plenty of people don't dominate in their careers. You know, if you think about it, let's say uh, you have the highest of ambitions and you want to get to the top of your field, whatever that means in your particular field. Just think about it practically. Does everybody get to the top of the field? Not really. There's only a select few who can occupy those positions. You know, I hope you know that with social media, public opinion sways to and fro, and most people's likability can be taken away like that, right? If you find glory in family, I got news for you. Most family, if not all families, are dysfunctional in some way, right? Your family is dysfunctional in some way. My family is dysfunctional in some way. Most of our kids will have issues. Uh, Most of us have issues. Most of our parents have issues. Why? Well, because we're sinners. Parents are sinners. Kids are sinners. We live in a sinful world. And so to even seek glory in something like that, I think, is a endeavor that will not work out for us. Moses, I believe, he knew that. And Moses came to God and he said, forget all these things. What we need is an identity. And where we get our identity is ultimately based on the fact that you are with us, that your presence is with us. Show me your glory. I need to remember not who I am. I need to remember not what am I supposed to do with these people. I need to remember who you are. And that is the prayer that I believe we need deeply, friends. Even though I feel weak, even though I feel insufficient and unable to carry out my task, unable to complete this mission, show me your glory. I need it. Now, God has been pretty amenable to things that Moses has been asking up to this point. Uh, God, Moses says, God, please don't destroy your people. Relent from your anger. God says, all right. God, Moses says, God, please don't withdraw your presence from your people. God says, all right. Moses says, God, please show me your glory. God says, hmm, okay, but, right? Okay, but you can't see my face in the fullness of my glory because you'll die if you do. So I can't fully answer your request there. So here's what I'm going to do. When my glory passes by you, I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, that's anthropomorphic language. Uh, I don't know what Moses actually saw or experienced, but uh, I think the point is clear that God cannot show his full face, his full glory to Moses, because it would be just too much for him. He would die. Now, why would Moses die? Think about it this way. If God is perfect, if God is holy, Part of the fact that he is perfect and holy means that he can't tolerate imperfection or sin in his holy presence. That would be a contradiction of his character, a contradiction of who he is. Otherwise, God would cease to be perfect and cease to be holy. Now, people would say, see, that's what's wrong with Christianity. So intolerant. Christians believe in an intolerant God. 
but that's probably a little bit disingenuous to say because everybody at some level is going to be intolerant of something. Tolerant people are going to be intolerant of intolerant people. Uh, to tolerate intolerant people would, of course, be a contradiction of what they themselves believe. So in order to be true to who you are, you have to be intolerant to intolerance, right? So likewise, God's perfection and holiness requires that he be intolerant to sin because if he were to be tolerate sin, that would be a contradiction of who he truly is. Therefore, no human could see the fullness of the glory of God because all humans have sin. What's God's remedy for that in the Old Testament? Uh, his remedy for that is, let me create a buffer, right? So I won't be directly full in the presence of my people, but I'll show them some of my presence. And let me create a buffer. That's why here Moses is meeting God in a tent of meeting. And of course, this is before the tabernacle is constructed. But God says, here, build a tabernacle and I will meet you in this tabernacle which will function as some kind of buffer between you and I. Eventually that becomes a temple. That is the only way God could come down and meet with his people because he's holy and the people are sinful. Now even though God's response to Moses' prayer is okay but with a few caveats, you know what's really amazing? God actually does answer that prayer for us now. How so? That prayer is ultimately answered through Jesus Christ and what he has done. Now, Moses' prayer is answered for us in two ways. First, God gives us Jesus. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus is the glory of God. Let me point you to two scriptural references. In John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh, referring to Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So you see, when Jesus came into the world, it was a significant event for the mere fact that it was God dwelling fullness and the fullness of his glory in the person of Jesus Christ with his people. Second, the way God answers Moses' prayer is ultimately what he would do is he would lift the veil that covers his glory through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the end of all the uh, synoptic gospels, at the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says something very interesting. It says the curtain temple, the temple curtain was torn in two. Right? I said that the temple was a buffer between the presence of God and the people of God. What does it mean that the curtain is torn in two? It means this. The buffer is removed. Full access is now given to God himself in his glory. Now, it's still true that God cannot tolerate sin in his presence, but the reason why sinners can now come into the presence of God is because sin has been dealt with on the cross that the Father would reach a point where he could not tolerate his perfect Son because his Son became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, that's a gospel message. That's why Christianity is very much about relationship and not about do's and don'ts and not about uh, following certain laws, but at the end of the day, Christianity is about relationship because the gospel makes a way for us to know God in an intimate way. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3, and um, I'll, I'll conclude here. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul, uh, he actually reflects on what's going on here. He reflects on Moses 
and he actually takes it a step further. And, you know, I was tempted to read the whole passage, but I won't do that. But let me just read a few verses from 2 Corinthians 3. He says this, If the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? And then he goes on to say, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. That is a remarkable and a wonderful and a beautiful passage that I think should excite all people who are believers and all people who know Christ. Because what he is saying is this. In Christ, that veil is removed. In Christ, all buffers are removed. In the Spirit, we have access to actually an even greater glory than Moses had access to even here. A kind of glory that would have destroyed Moses. In the Spirit, we have access to even greater glory. That is, that is amazing to think about. Amazing to think about. So you know what that means? If we pray, God, show me your glory, not only can God show it to us because of the work of Christ, he can show us his glory to a greater degree because we have the Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit. If you friends are struggling or facing something difficult, I've been there. It's so easy to just focus on the situation, the circumstance, and think, what do I do next? What do I do next? Probably think about different scenarios, different paths that you can take, different things that need to happen in order for you to ultimately get this resolved. Maybe you're the kind of person you just kind of stay in a state of uh, anger or anxiety or depression. I encourage you, pray the prayer that Moses prays. God, this is what's happening Sometimes I feel like giving up. Sometimes I'm struggling in my faith. Show me your glory. Because if you do, your glory can not only lift me out of this miry pit, your glory can give me the right perspective on all of life. Your glory can give me a joy in my heart that doesn't really make sense to the outside world because everything in my life is falling apart but your glory is so wonderful and beautiful and powerful enough to do that. And I think if we all pray this prayer together for our church and if God answers that prayer in amazing ways and we experience in the power of the Spirit the very glory and the very beauty of God, wow, right? I think amazing, amazing, amazing things will happen. You know, whether it happens on an external level I, I don't know. God's in, in charge of that. But I think at least within our hearts, we are going to experience such a peace and such a joy and such an excitement and such a passion that only comes and emanates from an encounter with the God of glory. Let's pray together.